I'd like to invite a special dad to come up and join me. As I told you, Pastor Dale is on his summer study, and so we are privileged to have Chris Payne back to join us. You might remember he was with us in our sermon series, The Path. And you are a dad. You've got three kids. I do. Which means you have a very lovely wife, Jen. She is. And you are currently pastoring a new church plant, yep, right? Yeah, we just started a church in Charlotte. Well, we are so yeah, glad to have you. you. Take it. Bless you. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for having us. So, yeah, thank you. Thanks. I love you already. Um, last time I was here, we were finishing a series called The Path. you remember that? And it was cold. I remember that. So it's warm now, so I'm really glad to be with you. And we're going to finish the series, How to Build a Successful Family, today together. And I know it's, it's probably a bummer for a substitute teacher to give a pop quiz. You're not supposed to do that. But I want to have a pop quiz this morning as we finish the series, looking at the Ten Commandments and ordering our lives around the principles of the Ten Commandments. And so what I'd love for you to do is to pull out your worship folder that you got when you came in, open it up to the notes section, and we're going to take a quiz here together. And here's the deal. I just want you to write out as many of the Ten Commandments as you remember, as you know. You don't need to worry about writing them all out in the these and the thous and the shouts and whatever. Just even a key word for every commandment that you can remember. And we're going to take the next minute or so for you to take this quiz together. Some of you, this may be your first time coming in the series, but just write out uh, the commandments that you know off the top of your head that you have in your heart down on your paper. And I think we have uh, a little bit of pop quiz music that Jeremy has prepared. So lovely, so appropriate. They'll be here all night. All right, write down the commandments that you remember on your worship folder. Do not look at your neighbor's paper. When you get to the eighth commandment, you'll realize why. Thirty more seconds. All right, pencils down. I've always wanted to say that. All right, we're going to grade our own little quiz here, and we're going to do that by watching a video that walks through the Ten Commandments. So check this out, and then we'll jump right into it.
How did you do? All of you who struggle with coveting your neighbor's donkey, we're talking about that today. The average American can name three out of ten of the commandments, and most of them are the shall nots that, that most Americans can name. So we'll see kind of how you did in that. And uh, let's continue today, and we'll finish the series together by, we're going to look at the eighth and tenth commandment. When I was growing up, I had this kid in my neighborhood who uh, wanted a dog. Have you ever wanted a dog? And now that you have a dog, you're like, why do I have a dog? <laughs> but this kid in our neighborhood, all he talked about was, was, was getting a dog. He wanted a dog so badly. And he asked his parents all the time for a dog, and the answer was no for most of the time. And then finally one day, he showed up at the bus stop with his new dog. And he was so proud of this. It was a little wiener dog, a little brown and black wiener dog. And true story, he used to carry this dog everywhere. Everywhere we'd play football, do whatever, this dog would be there with my friend. Uh, something happened that was really interesting. Though. After a couple of weeks, months went by. Uh, that little dog uh, was always out wandering the neighborhood, and my friend stopped taking as good of care as he had taken of him. Kind of the wanderlust began to wear off of having a new dog, and the dog began to get barked at by bigger dogs, and he would kind of run across the street. And several of us used to say to our friend, you know, you really need to take better care of your dog. I mean, like, you, you should maybe ask your parents to build a fence in your yard because your dog is wandering all around the neighborhood, and something's going to happen to your dog one day if you don't take care of it. And I'll never forget the day, and I remember the spot in our neighborhood, I'll never forget the day that my friend came to the bus stop without his dog. And he told us that the day before, the UPS truck had come through the neighborhood at 4 o'clock like it did every day and had hit his dog. And I remember thinking... Why didn't you take care of your dog? The Ten Commandments are meant to be God's way of taking care of His children. They're meant to be fences or parameters to protect us from all the things in this world that will still kill and destroy our relationship with Him and our relationships with one another. My wife and I just got back from Africa. We were there on a preaching trip. And uh, while we were there, we had the opportunity to spend two days on a safari. And so we were in the middle of Africa in the bush on the safari, and we saw all kinds of things that could eat us. And um, we camped there in the bush for two nights. And right around the encampment was this 12-foot electrified fence. And I've never been so happy about a fence in all of my life. Because every night that we were there, we would camp out and kind of have a fire and sit outside. And we would hear all these noises that we've never heard before of all these different types of animals that were literally right outside the fence. We were in their home, but there was this nice little encampment and nice little fence that protected us from what should not have come into us. And it also protected us from going out where we should not have gone. And that's what the Ten Commandments do. That is the purpose of the Ten Commandments is to keep alive things alive. It's to keep free people free. Now, some of us grew up or we've kind of been taught the Ten Commandments in a way of kind of a list of rules and regulations of just ten more things that I've got to abide by or ten more laws that I've got to keep. And there's a simple equation that I want to teach you this morning, particularly parents, as we talk about kind of building our families, our households around these principles. But for every single one of us, here's an equation that I want you to remember. R minus R equals R. You got that? 
R minus R equals R. Rules minus relationship equals rebellion. Rules minus relationship equals rebellion. God did not give this list of rules or boundaries or commandments or principles to us in absence of a relationship. That are given to us in the context of a loving, heavenly father relationship. That is putting boundaries around his children to protect them from the things of this world that they need not be a part of. That's the purpose of the Ten Commandments, to keep free people free. And it's in the context of a relationship that God gives these principles to us to live by. And so I want to conclude today by looking at the Eighth and the Tenth Commandments. Uh, And they're read uh, from Exodus, the 20th chapter. If you have your Bible, you can turn open there. That's where we find the Ten Commandments. And specifically, the Eighth and the Tenth Commandment are found in verses 15 and verses 17. It simply says this. I just want to read them to you. From Exodus, the 20th chapter, verse 15 and 17. First one, you shall not steal. The eighth commandment is found in the 15th verse there in Exodus 20. You shall not steal. And then the 10th commandment is found in verse 17. You shall not covet. You shall not covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, their servants, their ox, their donkeys, or anything that is your neighbor's. You shall not covet. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. Now, stealing is the act of taking something that is not yours. I'm a genius, right? Taking something that doesn't belong to you is stealing. Coveting, watch this, coveting is the desire that sits right behind the action of stealing. Stealing is the action of taking something that's not yours. Coveting is the desire that sits right behind that compels you to the action. You see that? I had a friend that said, said it this way, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. Whatever the desires of your heart are, they eventually become ethic. They become how you live your life. And so coveting the 10th commandment is what's behind the 8th commandment of stealing or taking something that is not yours. And so what happens when we violate the 8th and the 10th commandment is this. We violate the principle of entrustment. And you say, what is entrustment, Chris? Here's what entrustment is. God entrusts every single one of us, his children, with certain talents, with certain gifts, with certain opportunities, with certain relationships and situations. He uniquely entrusts every single one of us with those things. And when we violate the 8th and the 10th commandment, what we're saying, God, is what you have given to me is not good enough. What you have entrusted to me is not good enough. And so I am going to go out and take what I think I need or what I desire because I'm not trusting you that you're going to entrust me and give it to me in your time, in your way, in your manner. Now, if we met each other on the street and you came up to me and you said, Chris, do you struggle with the Eighth Commandment, with breaking the Eighth Commandment? First of all, I would say, who are you and why are you asking me that? Um, But after we got past the awkwardness of that, I would probably answer you, no, I don't struggle with that. I'm not a thief. I don't struggle with that. I mean, maybe when I was a kid, maybe like some baseball cards or something, but I don't struggle with stealing things from other people. You see, like when we're young, 
stealing or the eighth commandment is such an easy principle to understand, isn't it? Because it's like Timmy has a ball and Bobby wants the ball. So Bobby distracts Timmy and takes the ball and then tells Timmy that nine-tenths of the law is possession, so Timmy, you can't have your ball back, and the ball now belongs to me. See how that works? So stealing is so easy. When we get a little bit older and life kind of moves on for us, stealing takes on a much more sophisticated form, doesn't it? Some forms of stealing that maybe, just maybe some of us struggle with sometimes. How about our taxes? Ooh. Taxes. Mm. That is such an easy, simple way to maybe take something that's not ours, isn't it? And it takes the form of in a very quiet place, in a private room, I can just check a box or two or put a number that's a little bit different than the number that I know is supposed to be. And really, what are the chances? I mean, probably nobody's ever going to know. But I know. And it's a very sophisticated, adult, mature, clean way of taking something that doesn't belong to me. How about not working a full day's work for a full day's wage? I know I'm meddling now. All of us struggle with that sometimes, don't we? But somebody's paying us to do a service for a certain amount of time, and when we're not doing that, we're taking something that we didn't work for, that God hasn't entrusted to us. How about breaking something and not paying for it? I have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. So this is really like we walk into a store, it's like a tornado. Breaking something, not paying for it. The millions upon millions of dollars that retailers lose every year on broken merchandise that's never claimed. Somebody has to pay for that. I broke something, now the, the, the person who owns the store has to pay for it I, in, a, in a backwards way. I, I took something from them. How about defrauding other people? This happens all the times in the context of families. And as a pastor, I, I deal with this a lot. A lot of times money is at the root of a lot of relational issues in families. And it works this way where cousin Bobby, you know, wanted some money because he wanted to finish something. So he, he got money from Uncle Jim. And then cousin Bobby, you know, is real successful and makes all the money back but forgets to pay back Uncle Jim. And then when they're at the family reunion, they're both getting potato salad out of the same bowl. They just kind of look at each other and they kind of wonder, do you remember that you owe me money? And the cousin remembers, but if he doesn't bring it up, maybe I won't pay it back and maybe he'll just forget about it. And it's, it's taking something because at some point I've taken that money and I haven't returned it. How about borrowing something and never returning it? Any of you ever do that? You don't need to raise your hand. Any of you ever do that? Snow shovel in your garage right now that your neighbor borrowed. He's got six of them. He doesn't need it. If he asks for it, I'll return it. But if he doesn't ask for it, he kind of gave it to me. Did he really? Uh, the scriptures even say this with, when it comes to this principle of taking something that's not ours. Watch this. In Deuteronomy, the 24th chapter, God says, don't take advantage of the poor. Don't take advantage of the poor. And what does that mean? It means when you read the whole passage, it means... If you see somebody in need and you have something that can help them and you choose not to do that, within reason, you're actually stealing from the poor. Because maybe God entrusted you with that gift or that talent or that treasure or whatever to help bless that person and you chose not to do it. You took what wasn't yours and kept it. 
God gave it to you to be a blessing to them within reason, led by God, and you chose to violate that and keep it. It's a form of stealing. That's what the scriptures say. How about smooth lines like, hey, I've got a deal for you. Or I've got 500 cases of produce as fresh as the morning dew, except the morning dew means a little slimy and brown around the edges. Or the realtor that says, the minute I saw this house, I knew it was the one for you, knowing full well that your family can't afford that. It's going to overstretch and overburden you. It's half-truths. It's schemes or gimmicks or promotions or tricks. They're all adult and sophisticated ways that all of us struggle with breaking the Eighth Commandment today. And right behind the action of breaking the Eighth Commandment is the desire and it's really the, the why as to why we, we, are, we struggle with breaking the Eighth Commandment is because in our hearts, deep down, we covet the things that are not ours. There's a discontentment sometimes with our life and our lot in life. And so we struggle with coveting what is not ours. And coveting is simply this, and it's sophisticated in simple forms. Coveting is this. It's meeting legitimate needs in my heart in illegitimate ways. I have a need for all kinds of different things that God put in my heart, but it's trying to meet them in illegitimate ways. And this goes all the way back to Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve were in the garden. They were hungry. They wanted something to eat. They went and took from the tree that God said, this is the one tree that I'm asking you not to take from, and I took it. They met a legitimate need, their hunger, in an illegitimate way where God says, this is out of bounds. The heart of the matter is always a matter of the heart, isn't it? And behind the actions of breaking the Eighth Commandment or whatever the commandments are is the heart or the desire for something that's not ours. In fact, the Tenth Commandment, not coveting, is really placed appropriately because all the other nine commandments, every single one of them, go back and read them yourself in Exodus 20, all the other nine commandments come down to coveting about trying to be something or have something that we're not or that we shouldn't have. Whether it's wanting to be our own God or wanting to have a person or wanting to have a a, a possession or whatever it might be, it it comes down to us wanting to be our own God. And that is the struggle of life. All the way back to Genesis 3, I want to be my own God. And so it's taking the legitimate needs of my heart and my mind and my soul and it's meeting them in very illegitimate ways. Now watch how this happens with the principle of the 10th commandment. I have a legitimate need, and every single one of you do as well, for satisfaction. I can't get no. I want it. And I try, and I try, and I try, but I can't get no. I I want satisfaction. I want fulfillment in my life. God has hardwired me to desire and want fulfillment in my life. It's a perfectly normal and natural desire that I have. But when I go down the path of fulfilling that desire for satisfaction and fulfillment on my own terms and in my own way and not trusting God to give to me and trust to me what he needs to give me to fulfill that need, I go down a very, very dark path. It's like the the kids in the, the Willy Wonka movie. All they had to do was just stay on the tour. Just, just don't go after the things that you're, you're looking for, the satisfaction, the immediate fix. And all of them fell into the chocolate river. And they fell in the chocolate river because they could not delay their need for satisfaction. The, the mark of Christian maturity, watch this. The mark for Christian maturity 
is the ability to delay satisfaction. It's the ability to delay gratification immediately and to wait on the Lord for his blessings to give to me the needs and the desires of my heart in his time and his way through his purposes. But when I try to fulfill that need for satisfaction on my own, I go down the path of coveting and trying to take in what is not mine and what is not my place. How about self-worth? My need for self-worth. Every single one of us has this. We, we have a need to feel worthy in ourselves as people. And God wants to meet that need for self-worth by calling us his sons, by calling us his daughters, by giving us his inheritance, his righteousness, all those things to fill that need in our heart that is a legitimate need for self-worth. But when I take that need into my own hands, a lot of times what happens is I go down a path of saying, I am what I own. My self-worth equals my net worth. And it's such an easy trap to get into. That the things that I can accumulate, the possessions, the relationships, that my value in life is equatable to those things. And so I go through life just consuming, 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 and trying to meet a hole in my heart, a hole in my life that will not be filled by the things of this world. It's trying to meet a legitimate need in my heart with an illegitimate answer. When I compare my insides with someone else's outsides, it's always a losing equation. Think about that. When you compare your feelings, your desires, your heart, your insides with what you see on the outside from someone else, it's always a losing equation. Because all of you see all you see is the new car. All you see is the nice house. All all you see is the outside. And you compare those things that you see with what you're feeling inside. My need for self-worth. My need for all these things. And you begin to battle that that struggle of, of wanting to compare and wanting to be like somebody else. That God has entrusted those things to them. He hasn't given that to me, but I covet that. I start to go down that path. And I start to order my world around that only to realize that my neighbors, the Joneses, who have all these things that I'm looking at, have refinanced. And all the things that, that were on the outside that looked so good maybe aren't always as they seem. But when I match my insides, when I compare my insides with someone else's outsides, I'm always going to be the loser. And it's a sick cycle that continues. But it's out of a need for self-worth that I'll often do this. How about this one? We talked about satisfaction, self-worth. How about this? Security. My need for security. In this world where things are constantly changing, where it's difficult to know what I can depend on and what I can count on, I have a need for security, and I know that you do too. I have a need for knowing that there's something in this world that I can count on, that I can build my house and my family and my life upon. And God desires, obviously, to be that rock, to be that foundation, to be that structure that we build our lives upon. But so often, if you're like me, we can be pulled over into a lie to think that I'm going to build my security myself. There's a parable in Luke, the 12th chapter, that you can go back and read for yourself. The parable of the rich fool. Jesus tells this parable about a guy who had all these fields, and his fields yielded a plentiful crop. And he asked himself the question, what am I going to do with all these crops that God has given to me? Except he doesn't say God. What am I going to do with all these crops that my fields have yielded? 
Am I going to give it to the poor? Am I going to give it? Am I going to sell it? What am I going to do? I know what I'll do. I'll tear down all of my barns that I have, and I'll build bigger barns, and I'll put all the crops in those bigger barns. And for years, I'll say to my soul, go back and read this story. I'll say to my soul, to the deepest parts of who I am, soul, eat, drink, and be merry. For you have plenty to eat for years to come. And Jesus ends the story by saying this. Tonight, your soul will be required of you. Tonight. You were rich in this world, but you were poor towards God. You were a fool. Instead of taking what God had entrusted to you and giving it away, selling it, investing it, all the things that God calls us to do with his gifts and talents and treasures, you built bigger barns and stored it up so you could be secure for the years to come. And then you said to your soul, to your heart, that longed for security, that had that need, you can eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow, you know, we die. You said all those things because you were looking for security in the wrong places. And so you put your hope, you put your security in things that were not lasting. And tomorrow, your soul will be required of you. And how will you answer? Every single one of us struggles with this, of putting our security and our hope in the wrong things. And it's such a temptation in this culture to put our security in the things that we possess instead of the one who possesses us. We kind of all go around like hungry hippos, just consuming whatever's next and living for our next pleasure and finding security in what our hands can build instead of what God has given to us, a secure relationship with him, never to leave us, never to forsake us. It's trying to meet the deepest needs of my heart and my soul with very shallow and illegitimate means. Friends, what what God asked us when it comes to the 8th and the 10th commandment and all the commandments, what God asks us in this world is to walk through life with an open hand. Being able to freely receive His grace, His mercy, His love, His gifts that He gives to us, but also being willing to freely give those away to other people in need and to those around us. It's what Jesus said all the Ten Commandments could be summarized in this statement. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, be generous in your love towards God and be generous in your love towards others. The bottom line when it comes to these commandments and all the commandments is to trust God by living generously. To not walk through life with a closed fist. It's very difficult, isn't it, to bless somebody with a closed fist, isn't it? Bless you. (laughs) It's also very difficult to receive blessings with a closed fist, isn't it? God desires for us to have open hands. Daily receiving his grace, his mercy for us, his daily bread for us but also being willing to live generously towards him and towards other people in our path as we walk along this life. Final thought. If the Ten Commandments are meant to be boundaries, if they're meant to be fences that God puts in place of his children to protect us and to keep us safe, and they are, 
If my dog gets outside the fence and runs wild through the neighborhood, getting into all kinds of things and running all over the place, still my dog. The fence never established the relationship. I built the fence because I love the dog and I wanted to take care of him. The fence never established the relationship itself. When you go back and read the Ten Commandments, you read Exodus 20, you'll come to verse 2, right before the Ten Commandments are given, and it says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Before any of the rules or boundaries or fences were put in place, God wanted to make sure that all of us understood that it was being given in the context of a loving relationship. I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of slavery. Don't ever go back again. Don't ever go back to a life of slavery and bondage again. The commandments were meant to make free people, to keep free people free. To keep alive people alive. God has paid the price for us. It's his righteousness that's now been imparted to us. This is the gospel. That God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And then he invites us into this relationship by grace through faith. And he maintains this relationship by putting order and fences and boundaries around us so that we can love him with all of our heart, mind, and strength, and we can love our neighbors as ourselves. And so if this morning you've broken out of the fence and you're running the neighborhood wild and you know it, come back. There's not a place that you could go in this world that the love of God can't find you. There's not a thing that you could do in this world that God can't forgive and overcome by His power and His love. There's not a burden that you brought in the door this morning that God's mercy and grace can't forgive and can't restore and heal in your life. But you've got to come back to Him. And if you're feeling the tug to step out of the fence and to go to a place that God does not want you to go and to be a part of something that God doesn't want you to be a part of, I'm begging you to stay in the fence, to come back in the boundaries that God has given to us. Because there's a lot of UPS trucks out there. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for being our loving Father. Thank you for loving us so much that you put boundaries and fences around us to protect us, to keep us safe, to give us the life that you desire for us. I pray for every single person in here, for every family in here, God, that you would bless them, that you would encourage them. For those who are struggling right now to stay in the fence, God, that you would give them the courage and the strength and the conviction to live by the principles that you've given to us. And for those this morning who need to come back, may they receive your grace anew and fresh. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning, that your faithfulness to us is great. We love you, we praise you. Thank you, our Heavenly Father. It's in Jesus' name that we ask these things. Amen.